Algar Productions. Welcome to the Death of Podcasts. I'm Al, and this is Amanda. Hello. And we're making our way through Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one book at a time. This month we're discussing The Color of Magic, or if you're English or Canadian, The Color of Magic. The correct spelling. I'm not getting into that. We're not we're not starting off with with hostility here. We're gonna we're, this is we're we're friendly. This is nice. This isn't adversarial. When when do we get to that part? Uh, we could do it now. If you okay, want. good. Um, quick overview of us. Uh, we are in fact married to one another. Probably relevant, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they need to know that? People like it when married people do podcasts together. If there's one thing I've learned. Yes. So we're, we're here in our home recording studio. We're holding hands. Uh, we're recording this in like a heart-shaped tub. Yes. Um, eating bonbons. Eating bonbons, of course. Yes. I, I needed to complete the image. There were three things. Yes. There's always three things. There have to be three things. That's just a comedic, uh, you know, absolute law. Um, but uh, more specifically... Um, we come at this from sort of very different uh, places. This is a book series that we are both very, very fond of. And we both got into before we met. Right. Um, I was actually just getting into it when we met. And I did it before you did because yeah. I did it before it was cool. Yes. Okay. Very well. Not so true. you're the hipster of the relationship. <laughs> I mean, that that is true. But, you know, you're, you're way more into fantasy and stuff. Yes. I... Do not like Dungeons and Dragons. I do not like Tolkien. I do not like almost any fantasy at all. And I like Discworld. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. We'll talk about that. So many reasons. But I just I want to present that up front because by all rational measurement, this should not be for me. But it does make sense because it's not... Um... And as it goes, it becomes less and less sort of serious. It's very much examining the tropes and making jokes about them. Yeah, I would say it's more of a parody early on. Yeah. And later, it actually takes fantasy more seriously. It's just more of a backdrop, and it's way more about the characters. Good characters who are also funny. Right. Yeah. And as the series progresses, and, and we need to be clear... We're reading these. A lot of people have asked us, what is the reading order? Uh, because that's... Not this. That's the, well... Don't do it. Th- hang on. Let's talk about this. Don't do it. You do what you like. Don't turn people off to our show before <laughs> we even start our show. The thing is, there. this is one of those series where everyone who's into it will agree. It's not what it could be at the beginning. We agree. Everyone we've seen on the internet agrees. It gets way better. Now... Where you think that happens will vary, but pretty much everyone will say if you want a good sense of what the series is like, don't start at book one. And it's it, it. There's not a narrative through line where you need to read the first couple of books. Right. the The characters have a bit of an arc, but you he gets you caught up real quick, and you don't need most of any of that. But that said, for the sake of of simplicity, so that people can jump in and read along with us, we're starting at book one. We're going to go through the main series in the order they were uh, published. Then after we get to the last one, we'll skip over to like the uh, the Tiffany Aching book, like the side series. Mm-hmm. So starting with book one, moving to book two, and so on in that fashion. And when we reach the end, stop. Yeah. It's very important to say that because uh, another podcast that I work on and, and Amanda's frequently a part of, uh, we were reviewing the entirety of Star Trek and we got to the end and we're still going somehow. Well, the thing is, what'll happen is we'll get to the end of this and then we'll have to review Slider. 
dollars, which has nothing to do with this, and yet sometimes somehow it will happen unless we no set and, it up. And there's there's a friend of ours who's almost certainly listening to this now and will now chime in and ask us to review no. deadly games. No, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, we are doing it in order with the caveat that these early books are a little rough. Uh, it's a lot like there's a lot of TV series like this. Mm -hmm. Like if you were into Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you always tell your friends start at season two and then circle back. Like it's it's kind of like that. It's the first good book, I'd say, is like book four. The first great book is, I don't know, six or seven. Like mm -hmm. it takes a little while. And, you know, going back and reading them um, again now, they're sort of nice as artifacts. Like yeah. if you're if you're reading someone's like juvenilia, like they're really early works where you can see, okay, this is where they fell in love with this idea and they really perfected it later on. So it's nice like that. Like I'm enjoying going back and reading these, having read the whole series. Right. But that said, we're both very into this series for reasons that are almost entirely not true of this first book. Yes. If, if you read this book with the intention of following along with this and you're just not feeling it, you're like, why? Why do people like this? Well, it's because it's not good yet. We just started at the beginning. We will we will keep you apprised. We will rate them and we will tell you this is a good place to jump on. This is an okay place to jump on, but it's there are so many better places. Bad, like no, I it's was, better than we both remember. Honestly, I was a little bit dreading the first couple of books because mm -hmm. I remember not enjoying them at all. Well, they're parodies. Um, there's, they're, they're, you can see there's seg segments of the book that are clearly parodying. They're different parodies, things. but they're not much of a parody. Well, like, okay. I know most of the source material mm -hmm. and it's not it doesn't have a whole lot to say about it. Well, no, it doesn't. Although there's a lot of jokes. Th there are. Okay, let's start by talking about you you've written a nice brief encapsulation. Let's let's start with that and then we'll kind of break things down from there. And I wanted to keep this brief cuz I assume yeah. most of you guys are familiar with this. If you're not familiar with it, you might be reading along. And if you're not like if this is not enough for you, like there's a million places you can find out what this book is about. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. The Color of Magic follows Rincewind, a failed wizard, and a coward, and Twoflower, Discworld's first tourist, as they visit a number of locales on the disc, usually fleeing its inhabitants. It's split into four sections, exploring Ankh-Morpork, a major city, the Temple of Bal-Shamharoth, a shrine to an ancient evil, Wormburg, a mountain full of dragon riders, and finally to the edge of the disc itself. Alright, so let's start with the basic premise, yes. the basic idea of the Discworld, which is a flat world yes. on the backs on the back of four elephants, which it, themselves are on the back of a giant turtle in space. Yeah, Sky Turtle, great Atu, and I love that now, guy. Like so many things Terry Pratchett does, yes. it's based in actual myths. There's a bunch of different myths that this draws from, and I don't know all of them. And turtles all the way down. Uh, well, what is that like? So there was the actual myth. And then someone asked an old lady who believed that, well, what's under the next turtle? And she, and she said something like, something like you, that. you can't get around me. It's turtles, turtles all, all the way, way down. down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But she was believing in this thing that a lot of people believed in. I don't know where it comes from originally. And there's going to be a lot of that where yeah. we know it's from something. He's very good at that. He draws on a lot of sources. That's one of the things that I like about it. And something I think that you like about it as well mm -hmm. is his how much he loves myth and these big ideas and these reoccurring ideas in uh, human fiction and fantasy and storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and his 
obsession with storytelling and narrative. Most of uh, his stories are about stories. Yes, which I, I love so much. Yeah, it's me too. one of the things uh, we'll get into quite a bit later in Witches Abroad, one of my most favorite books. Mm-hmm. Um, talks a lot about that, and a lot of them do. But Yeah. No, the first Witches book does. Uh, yeah. Uh, Weird Sisters. Not very well, though. No. Again, you know. He does, he does, uh, Terry Pratchett does do the thing where he'll take an idea, he'll try it, and then he'll rework it and use the same idea again, uh, but doing it better. Yeah. And it doesn't really feel like he's repeating himself because usually when he repeats himself, he does it better. Yeah. So there is that. There, We will find as we go, there's some things. It's like, quit coming back to that. There's nothing there. No, there's there's a couple. He has a couple of ideas that he keeps trying that just kind of fall flat. But yeah. usually we're coming back to right. it, it uh, improved. But even at the beginning, a lot more of this world, this pastiche world of his was in place. Like I thought a lot of this was built later and a lot of it's improved later. But the whole idea of mm-hmm. the disc and how it works. And there's there's some passages on because they're not really dealing with three dimensional space like we do on a globe. There's not north and south. It's it's turn wise and anti turn wise or witter shins as they call it. Yeah. Right. But, you know, and, and you're not you your directions, uh, your relative directions are going toward the hub or going toward the edge. Yep. And turning yeah <laughs> and then turning around yeah and always twirling circle. twirling twirling <laughs> time is a time is a flat planet yeah on top of four elephants on the top of a turtle and there's some space there's some like this is a long entrenched fandom mm-hmm. on the internet uh there there were news groups way back in like the late 80s early 90s and i was part of that culture not for Discworld, but for some other things so i know you didn't get a lot of idiot trolls. Like if people spent the time to figure out how to get on the internet, which was no easy task back then. Mm -hmm. And they had the money to do it. And they had the, like all that. By the time they got there, they were pretty dedicated to putting up with people yelling at them to get off the phone. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like the people who were on the internet debating this stuff in say 1990 were incredibly passionate you didn't get a lot of dummies you care and you also had to care about it yeah so much to put in the effort because oh my god and there's why did any of us do it because it was great oh my god nothing's worth that i won't stand in line now (laughs) (laughs) like oh there's two people in front of me to meet my favorite author i don't think so but two people a lot i don't know but it's um. But what I'm what I'm getting at is there were some people debating how the science would mm-hmm. work, like because what he says in some of the expository passages are it's warmer on the edges and colder in the middle where there's a giant mountain. Right. And some people who took the science very seriously said, well, it would probably work the other way. And what's really cool is he was involved in a lot of these discussions, and he never said you're wrong. He would just kind of watch what was going on and say hmm that's that's an interesting point and he was he one of the first authors to directly interact with his Mm -hmm. fans and and not really start fights or be a jerk but to encourage discussion and i love that about him and the answer to most of these questions is uh, it's magic it's magic it's magic it literally is magic magic. from, from page one we we live in a magic world this is not a science world and he makes a bunch of jokes about this set of dimensions is mm-hmm. kind of janky. It's kind of broken down. Things don't work right here. 
And that's a major part of the magical system. You have Rincewind sort of daydreaming about a world that made sense where you could do math and it would work every time and yeah. you could set things up to be easier. And, and everyone, everyone laughs at him about and, that. Yeah, and they tell him it's fantasy and yeah, no, they give him actually, a really hard time. There's actually a passage that I had, uh, and this is the thing we're going to be doing a bit. Uh, we, we've highlighted passages. Uh, it's just easier than, than... We're going to read to you, which you guys yes. might like. I or Or hate. Who knows? Probably like. Yeah, could be. I could do it like in a soft voice or like pretend like I'm cutting your hair and I telling could, it to you. I could pan it from left to right <laughs> and back. Could do that. Um, well, if you must know, I thought he didn't mean magic, not as such. What else is there then? Rinswin began to feel wretched. I don't know, he said. A better way of doing things, I suppose. Something with a bit of sense in it. Harnessing, harnessing the lightning or something. The imp gave kind of a pitying look. Lightning is spears hurled by the thunder giants when they fight, it said gently. Establish meteorological fact. You can't harness it. No, Rincewood said miserably. That's the flaw in the argument, of course. So it's, you know, and, and that happens a bunch of times where he's like, why can't there be science? And everyone's like, because that's stupid. Because it doesn't work, man. Yeah, exactly. In, and in this world, it doesn't. And I like that. And honestly, we'll see Terry Pratchett come back to that mm-hmm. in ways that I don't love in, in later books. He he is obsessed with the idea of concepts from our world making their way to the Discworld. Yes. Sometimes that works well. Sometimes it doesn't. Usually not, though. Well, there's the, there's a section in this book, and we're going to yeah. jump around a little bit, where suddenly it feels like this was all a dream. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Rinswand mm-hmm. of Norway is on an airplane with... Uh, whatever German is for two flower, I don't remember now, mm-hmm. Zwei Blossom or something like mm-hmm. that. And it's kind of cute and kind of funny, but it's also like, dude, no, you have your own world. Why would you come to ours? Ours sucks. And that sequence was kind of long. And it wasn't that funny. Yeah, and that's the thing is if it's really funny, I'll put yeah. up with a lot of dumb nonsense. Yeah. But this wasn't particularly funny and it was pretty long. Yeah, like, it, it was, was several a, pages. Like it was a good hunk of time yeah. passing. Now we we listened to the audiobook versions, which is my like I am super ADD. I I should point that out for people listening because probably I will miss major points and people will be like hey stupid well yeah sometimes i'm stupid but i also have a learning disorder so you know go be nice (laughs) but um audiobooks work for me like i can absorb Mm -hmm. the information much better it forces me to pay attention and not skip ahead if i get bored and there were definitely passages in this if i was reading them with my eyes i would say no no that's that's not necessary but i really like the audiobooks of this series quite a bit me too, and it means I can do be doing a chore and be yeah, doing and my homework too at exactly. the same time. I get to do two things. Right. Um, uh, in these early books, they have Nigel Planer mm-hmm. reading them. And I really like him. He's excellent. Mm-hmm. The guy they have replacing him later is also quite good, yep. but because I listened to these in order, I kind of got like attached to this guy, and then they switch him up in book 18 or so. It's jarring. They're yeah. both very good, but it is jarring. And they do different characters' voices. Mm-hmm. And like the other guys, Vimes, who, if you guys are reading along, might not know who that is yet, uh, is better. But this guy's death is better. Mm-hmm. Like he does. I, I like this death. guy's Rincewind. Yeah. Yeah. This guy should have played Rincewind. There yes. was a TV adaptation in 2008, I think. Did not care for it. Uh, they did this in the second book. This <gasps> in the second book are basically the same story, like contained yeah. in two parts. And so they did two, you know, 90 minute things. 
Um, the guy they had playing Rincewind was David Jason. A hundred years old. He's very, very old. And I figure, I feel like Rincewind is in his thirties, maybe? Thirties, maybe forty. Like, like not. He feels like a college student who hadn't got the hint and left yet. Yeah. Like he's too old to be in school, but he's not very old. He's just like, okay, time to move on and move off the university grounds now. <laughs> it's getting a little creepy. And they get into why he's a failure. And our both of our memories of him from later books is, oh, he's just a coward and a failure. Yeah, he just sucks. But there's a reason for it. And I, this is actually, we're uh, talking about sort of our, the things we enjoyed about the mm -hmm. book. This is a big part of my good thing mm -hmm. is uh, Terry Pratchett's, I like Terry Pratchett's whole magical system yeah. overall. Yeah. And in this case, um, magic is a real pain in the ass. Like it's not usually it's described as like not being worth it yeah um there's no. actually a, a, a section did you highlight that passage I did highlight that passage because yeah there's a, there's um, a specific thing where he goes through an example yeah uh so let me i'm just pulling that up here it says uh so it goes like this in practical terms, this meant that, say, creating an illusion of a glass of wine was relatively easy, since it involved merely the subtle shifting of light patterns. On the other hand, lifting a genuine wine glass a few feet in the air by sheer mental energy required several hours of systematic preparation if the wizard wished to prevent the simple principle of leverage flicking his brain out through his ears. And that's how magic is overall. Yeah. Most magic, if it's something you can do yourself, just do it yourself. It's yeah. easier. Yeah. Um, and in this case, Rincewind um, memorized one of the great old spells. Well, there's a there's a whole, like, he was put up to it by some classmates. It was a, it was a dare and a bet. Yeah, go, go look at this ancient grimoire and yeah. look at one of the eight, like, elemental spells. And he did, and it lodged itself in his brain. And now he can't remember any other spells. Yeah. But he also can't get that one out. If he says, then he doesn't know which one it is. It might be one that ends the world. It could, and they're all, the thing is, there's no good option. Right. They're all, it's all bad. Right. And there's, there's, it's a running thing throughout this story. And I know in the second one as well, mm -hmm. and it's not really a spoiler because we're still following this character and this is a big part of him, that the spell is trying to say itself to get itself out of his mind. It wants out. It yeah. wants to do the thing it's supposed to do. And I like that. And we don't know if it's going to end the world or you know, who knows, but it's going to be some big powerful thing. It's not going to be summon puppies. Uh, but, you know, it might not be end the world. We don't know. It's not going to be good, though. Probably not. But, you know, I. but going back to the magical system, everything is based on eight. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting take on everything. And it ties into the title of the book, which is the color of magic, mm -hmm. which is, you know, we have seven colors here and there's an eighth color there that is impossible for you to imagine. It is a greenish purple. Mm hmm. Uh, well, that's how that's how Rincewind sees it. It's right. a greenish purple, and it's called octarine. Right, and, and that that comes back quite a bit. It is, and it's it that the first time through felt a little repetitive to me, mm -hmm. and now it feels almost sort of like a poetic device mm -hmm. because it's like you know you read a whole page, da da da, da and then octarine, the color of magic, mm -hmm. and it it repeats itself a few times, and it's kind of interesting that he's built the world around this, and I like all of that. And he definitely gets better at that sort of. Um, dropping the phrase in or dropping variations yeah. on the phrase where it doesn't feel so clunky yeah um it, it's i again it feels like i'm watching him hone his craft oh yeah in this where i'm like oh i see this is will lead to some some really good things later on but yeah. right now it's 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 a little clunky but there's still some good stuff there is 
But why don't we just go through sort of like uh, section by section? Um, the first section, uh, we have two flower coming in uh, to Ankh-Morpork, which is the major city in Discworld. Yeah, we spent a lot of time here. And we will spend a lot yeah. of time here through the through the yeah. entire series. It is a very important place. It's described as being the ultimate template by which all cities in the multiverse mm -hmm. are based on. Like, it's huge. And it's it's London. It's Rome. It's so many great world cities Budapest. rolled into one. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of different ones. Yeah, isn't Budapest the one that it's is named? Two. Yeah, because yeah. this is named Ankh and Morpork because it's on, you know, it's two cities separated by a river, just like Buda and Pest, right? Is that? Yeah, exactly. And okay. it's it, like London um, started out being a city that expanded and expanded and took over other small townships. Mm -hmm. Ankh Morpork did the same, where you're getting the culture of, of these other towns and it just gets entered into the city. And if you go right. to certain areas of the city, it's more like this or more like that. Well, and that's why I thought of Rome as well. Yeah. But, and also this doesn't really come up in this story, but later ones, it's built on itself. Yes. There's been a city there for so long that if you dig, you're just going to find the old cities and the old cities and the old cities. And it's just been a population center on the Discworld since forever. And so it's good. And actually, this is a device we're using like we use on, on my uh, my Trek podcast, which is a good thing and a bad thing. We each pick mm -hmm. a good thing and a bad thing. And my good thing is I think it's a good device to introduce the first tourist that anyone's yes. ever seen, which is Two Flower. His whole defining characteristic is he wants to see things he hasn't seen before. And he's got a magic, what's effectively a camera. Mm -hmm. And he's going to a new place and... He wants to know the language and he wants to see the danger because he thinks it's going to be fun. And no one's ever done that before. And it's a great way for Terry Pratchett to world build while we follow our characters. And I don't know if this is uh, if this is deliberate. I didn't say anything in the annotations, but there were some early scholars who did this, who everyone thought they were like weirdos for wanting to go from place to place and see a bunch of stuff and write stuff down mm -hmm. um at the time they're like yeah he goes it's super dangerous and like why and that's very much how two flower is treated yeah. here now there's a definite danger of mm -hmm. interpreting him problematically as your stereotypical japanese tourist which was a thing people wrote about and made movies about a mm -hmm. lot in the 80s this book came out in 83 um, however, there were some good ways of making that, like he's from, uh, they call it the counterweight continent, mm -hmm. which is made in pretty much entirely of gold. Yes. So his currency like is worth way more than, than it is here. Uh, and it's basically China. It's basically ancient China, which is okay, boy, oh boy, here we go. But. Yeah, white dude from the 80s writing about yeah, a tourist from, from the East. Camera. Yeah. Oh, but no, 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 no. no. He's written and in the audiobook mm -hmm. performed like a jolly old English chap. Like, oh, this will be great fun. This will be, yo, bro, this is very good. Uh, please just stand still and I'll take a picture. You know, and it's I so was, much better that way. It's not perfect, but I have to no. say it was something I was really dreading going back and yeah. reading this book. I thought it was going to be super no, problematic. There's, there's almost nothing there. There's a few, uh, there's a few things in the book that haven't aged well. Yeah. Um, when there, there there's used there's some 
a little there's some language that's used throughout that's a little yeah. rough around the edges a little bit well um, they go to the whore pits which is ugh, and i'm sure that's from a lot of the barbarian stories he was drawing from and all that but still it's a pretty that's a pretty rough word it is not one i it is want to i i get it from a comedy standpoint yeah. if you read it in a conan story or whatever the whore pits it's like oh well uh, while i'm in town i definitely want to see the whore pits oh. like the, i but i see how that's funny yeah. I also wouldn't write something like that now, but I can I can allow for, you know. But later on um, in the series, he treats that, yeah. the, the issue of sex work, a lot more sensitively. He absolutely um, does. That's something that Terry Pratchett actually, something that's always sort of impressed me about him is even though he was an old white dude, he was always learning stuff and improving. And That is my favorite yeah. thing about him. You want to ask, like, up front, why do I like this author? I Literally my favorite author. Mm-hmm. Like, hands down my favorite author of always and every day that I remember that he's not alive and not writing books. It makes me sad. It's because he's like you say, he gets better. Mm -hmm. He wrote so much about social justice stuff in his later books. And each one was a little more, you know, like enlightened and a little better at, Oh wait, no, this is bad. Let's look at this now. And, and I like that a lot. And it's a lot easier to forgive stuff that's a little, maybe a little problematic or a little rough around the edges early on when you know yeah. that, oh no, he knows. Yeah. And as we go on. And he'll get better. Yeah. Plus 1983. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta make some allowances for that. And compared to some of the things at the time, I bet it was already a little better than some of that stuff. Yeah. But you know, um, I, I never want to give people entirely an out. Uh, no because of the, like you talk you hear people talk about lovecraft and say like oh well he mm. was he was racist but everyone was racist back then it's like oh not like that well that's what i'm saying <laughs> yeah. i bet if you compared terry pratchett yeah. to his contemporaries like he's probably a little better already yeah. um but okay so the first section is uh, what is this draw on do you think is that is that more the the uh barbarian adventure type the stuff the first section is a lot of it to do with um some fritz lieber stuff which mm-hmm. i'm actually not familiar with but i've heard is pretty good like it's actually kind of funny um mm-hmm. like I, i've read other stuff um uh in like um uh, Frostflower, the Frostflower series uh, is another sort of, mm-hmm. you've got a wizard and a warrior going around doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Or you have a thief guy and a warrior going around doing things. It's, it's a pretty standard sort of fantasy mm-hmm. um, trope. Well, and, and there are two characters they try to frame this mm-hmm. through, or he tries to frame this through originally that are apparently drawn on uh, Fritz Lieber characters, yeah, which the, I would not have um, recognized. Bravd and the Weasel. Yeah, and then it's... Um, Oh, what are the two uh, it's guys? Fafford and the Gray Mouser. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, I've heard um, that. But yeah. By the way, uh, all the annotations that we're looking at are on lspace.org. It is an excellent resource if you want to know behind the scenes stuff. There's tons of direct input mm-hmm. from Terry Pratchett himself. All of this stuff is drawn from the old um, uh, Usenet groups mm-hmm. and stuff, and which he was a big part of. So it's not just a bunch of fan speculation. It's usually backed up by him chiming in and say, yeah, this is this is what I meant by that, or this is a reference to that, or whatever. Or they have um, him, like the, the people who are putting it together have excerpts from interviews where he'll right. say this or that or the other. It's really nicely put together. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's like Memory Alpha, like you use on the Star Trek podcast yeah. for the guys who are coming yeah, from that yeah uh, except it's kind of better put together oh it's definitely better and put it's together. not such a mess 
Uh, that said, the annotations stop around book 20. Yeah. And then we're kind of on our own. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they stopped making them. Like, I was following this for years, mm-hmm. and about 10 years ago, they just stopped updating it. Um, but there's a lot of direct quotes from him. There's a lot of... And there's a lot of, I'm British, and I understand this British thing that you American readers might not understand, which is Jokes nice. about currency and stuff where yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. Well, there's... A, and this isn't that, but there's his wordplay that is nigh impossible which is um, I would not have un- I would have no. not have picked this up. Um, there's there's some funny things about Two Flower being like he's an insurance uh, clerk, as they say, clerk as we would say, um, spelled the same somehow. I don't get how that works. Clerk Kent, I guess. Um, uh, but he tries to explain the concept of insurance or in sewer ants, which I like, mm-hmm. uh, to a bar owner who then promptly burns his bar down. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Because where Toothflower comes from, people buy into the idea of insurance. And yeah. everyone in Ankh Pork is like, it's all cutthroat people looking out for themselves. And... It's, it's like any, you know, satirical city. Mm-hmm. It's like Springfield. Yeah. Everyone's an angry mob all the mm-hmm. time and they're all out for themselves. And when you explain insurance as betting that your bar won't burn down and you take that bet and then you burn it down to collect the, the you know, win the bet. Like, that's funny to me. Um, but he also uh, mentions um, th- th- there's a lot of talk about the value of gold because he's seen as incredibly mm-hmm. rich, even though he's sort of middle class where he's from because he's got this chest full of gold. Um, and he refers to the the whole idea as reflected sound of underground spirits. And like, what? What? It's economics. Come on, man. So, and he actually he <laughs> actually explains it. It's a long it. walk. He actually explains it. But there's <laughs> some of that like language barrier mm-hmm. stuff that I didn't think was very funny. But I do like what I like is Rincewind is good with languages. Yes. And he's actually pretty clever. Like there's a lot more to him than I remembered. Yes, I remember him just being scared of his own shadow and running around, but he's mm-hmm. not. And a couple of people talk about him as like a little bit scary because he's such a survivor yeah like to the exclusion of all else like rincewind will knock something over into the volcano that will destroy the island if it means he can escape Mm -hmm. and he does but he's not doing it out of malice it's fear and self-preservation his self-preservation is so high and also that spell Mm -hmm. acting on his behalf that's definitely part of it as well um but so th- there's a bit too much indulging in side characters in mm-hmm. this first section, I would say. And I was reading it and I was like, I don't remember these guys. Like, cause most of the time you get, if you have these side characters, they come back and it's some, yeah, it's clearly, playful, it's clear he had a, building. yeah, he had an idea of how the system works and how mm-hmm. these people work. And maybe they're not important this time, but they will be at some point. So it's good to get, start to get to know them. But none of these people, as far as I know, come back. Yeah. It's, um, we have the, uh, the head of the thieves guild and the head of the assassins guild and then the thieves guild second in command. And we spend like, 10 15 pages with them like a long and then we come back to them and it's all for like a really leading up to a really short sequence where two flower gets to see like a bar brawl yeah but it's nothing it's before he's delivered to rincewind where the the book starts basically it's like you and i watch a lot of old movies and we have this running joke of like okay now the movie starts because there's like a 10 minute plot there where nothing happens and then the movie starts and it was a lot like that and then we come back back to it later on and it never really no it does turns into anything but 
once those two hook up, it gets mm-hmm. pretty interesting. And to me, they're sort of a classic comedic duo. Yeah. It's the it's the two flower just cannot fathom that anything he's doing will cause any problems, mm-hmm. that everyone will just like be fine and Rincewind has to clean up after him all the time and it's very funny. But Two Flower also has like a wonderful optimism yeah. in the way he sees the world. Yeah. And things tend to turn out for him. Like he says a number of times, like, oh, something always turns up. Yeah. And something always does. Like yeah. he has a he's had like a, a fairly lucky life and being nice to people and being fairly positive leads to good things because he's not miserable to be around that's definitely one way to interpret it but it's also you know rinswin has to deal with his insufferable optimism and (laughs) and be the one to save him half the time which is the thing that ends up happening other half the time two flowers saving rinswin yeah that's true but i just i think they're very Mm -hmm. you know like uh, terry pratchett is hardly inventing this he's just drawing on centuries of of comedy tradition and creating a, a duo that works together very well i think and um not just comedy tradition also fantasy tradition oh yeah you have a ton of your two guys yeah going from town to town because you what happens with your guys like conan is if they're by themselves all the time mm-hmm. they don't have anybody to talk to and you yeah. don't want to have a monologuing all the time so it's right. nice to have two yeah no and and actually something we haven't talked about yet is uh the uh, two flower has a companion with him yes my favorite character. Okay, well, tell the people about your favorite character. Uh, so, he, Two Flower has what's called the luggage, and the luggage is uh, made out of sapient pear wood, which means that the the trunk it's a trunk. It looks like a treasure chest, mm-hmm. um, but it's alive, and it has a bunch of tiny little millipede feet mm-hmm. underneath it, moving it around, and it can devour people whole mm-hmm. um and it can also store two flowers clothes and gold and and stuff and just spend it's an unstoppable force always wanting to be with two flower and keep two flowers safe because mm-hmm. that's who uh the luggage is bonded to and i love the luggage so much. yeah in this story they literally span the entire world mm-hmm. and this thing always manages to catch up with him oh it's so cute <laughs> But everyone's terrified of it. Like yeah. when they're on their sea adventure, everyone thinks it's a sea monster because mm-hmm. it's terrifying. And if, eating people. Yeah. It's terrifying if it's not working for you. Mm-hmm. So I would say overall, like this first section, but the whole thing really, there's not really so much a plot as it is one damn thing happening after yeah. another, which is probably how old fantasy books worked. But that doesn't mean I like it. There are some old fantasy books that work like that. And then there are some that have a proper plot ass plot Mm -hmm. um but his later books even still there's never a point where it's like okay now we're heading into act three Mm -hmm. it's always just like the character goes through a natural thing and the characters didn't really grow or change in this they just went on an adventure and that's fine but he gets way better at that later uh, so I think that's that pretty much covers the first section. Except oh. for the patrician. Oh, yeah. So this, if you have only read this book, will mean mm-hmm. nothing to you. Uh, for those of you who have read ahead, though, uh, as far as anyone can tell, this patrician is veterinary. Mm-hmm. But Terry Pratchett says, yeah, uh, let's see. There's a quote from him that I wanted to, to include good. here. Um, he says, how about maybe he was veterinary, but written by a more stupid writer? <laughs> Because he's because he's written as kind of fat and kind of like um, opulent, and um, 
a, yeah, a little lazy and mm-hmm. wanting things to stay the same for the sake of them staying the same. And that's so not like Vetinari. Yeah, Vetinari will keep things the same if it makes later on if it makes sense yeah. for the city. For but things he's to got stay a fucking master plan. He's yeah. you know. And it was weird because I was reading the patrician and they said, and he he put his hand under his two chins and I'm like, what? I what? just assumed it was a different guy. Yeah, and there are previous patricians before Vetinari, yeah. the one we we yeah, come yeah, yeah. To, to know and love. Um, but yeah, this is supposed to still be him. It's just, it just, it's just, it doesn't feel like him. It doesn't feel like him. There's a few moments, like he's got a bunch of, um, like spies and stuff for, and clerks who work for him. Yeah, but it's it's, still, you know. It doesn't feel like the same guy, uh, but it's just, there's no in-world explanation for it. It just, it just changes. No, and honestly, at, at one point in a much later book mm-hmm. he does what is effectively his crisis on infinite mm-hmm. earths where he kind of like fixes some of the timeline because it doesn't quite line up well you don't think that he was at this point he was just making a fantasy parody i don't think he was planning to no, make and, a, like a 40 book series in fact i that's uh, another thing that i had highlighted here was his uh his there's a the um the version that i have of this book is like a, a reprint mm-hmm. Uh, from, I don't know, 10 years on, there's mm-hmm. there's several books in the series at this point. And he says, if I had a penny for every time someone asked me where I got the idea of Discworld, I'd have, hang on a moment, £4.67. Ha. Anyway, the answer is that it was lying around and didn't look like it belonged to anyone. And he goes on about that, yeah. just about how it's not really an original idea or whatever. But he also said, I had no plan of making, you know, a, a 10 book series, he says at this point, but obviously it's going to be much more than that. Mm-hmm. He's like, I just was just kind of making it up as I went. There was no master plan. And so it's kind of interesting to see how much of it actually does hang together despite that. And later on, it very much does feel like there is a plan. Oh, yeah. Um, for sure. Where he had some ideas and stuff. But yeah, early on, not, even, not so much. Even up to the last book, which mm-hmm. very much felt like he knew it was the last book yeah. and closed all the loops, which we'll get there in a few years. But no, uh, oh, it's heartbreaking. It is. It's very heartbreaking. Anyway, so they go through the city and there's all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is sort of a Lovecraft parody where the spell kind of takes center stage. Mm-hmm. That one's not bad. Honestly, that was probably the best of all of the you four think so? sections. It was shorter, uh-huh. um, which was good. There wasn't a ton of ancillary stuff all over the place. They meet a uh, Conan, Conan the Barbarian like analog, it's yeah. like, uh, what is it? Rung or something. I don't even run. Yeah, run. Yeah, um, and he's like, he, he's not. He, he's not a parody. He's he's, he's just, just a barbarian yeah. hero. Yeah, he's, he's just a barbarian. Hero. He's a little better than the other ones because he knows how to read. Yeah, but well, there's nothing really to him. No. And a lot of this is very much like the Conan stories where he does because Conan does go to evil temples with mm-hmm. like tentacly gods and stuff yeah. and fight them up. Um, there's not a like but this one also had some bits that were a little bit funnier uh, yeah. than the other ones well the the whole evil thing is mm-hmm. the number eight like yes. everything about the number eight is you know scary mm-hmm. and enchanted and everything and you can't say the number eight and there's a lot of really funny dodges so that they don't say it yeah there's i think i've got uh yeah i've uh highlighted one of the uh mm-hmm. whoopsies one of the sections here um and i'm pulling it up now um and so uh rincewin says don't say it don't say what the number number said two flower hey rincewind yes the number between seven and nine four plus four what eight 
And so that's that's yeah. how it goes on is this Rincewind trying to get people not to say the number eight because it's going to summon the old evil And then God. making them say it in yeah. true vaudeville fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it gets more and more tortured, mm-hmm. uh, him trying to have them not say it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's pretty funny. Uh, Rincewind <laughs> says that... When he was in, when he went to magic school, he was in room seven A, mm-hmm. which he's like, of course I was. Yeah, no, there's a you there's a lot of good stuff like that. Yeah, and and you're right, it is short, and it's not a bad section. Um, but then the one after that about dragons, woof, it's real boring, hundred thousand years long. Well, and we spend a lot of time with characters who aren't the two main mm-hmm. guys. And there's some good comedy ideas in it, like Rincewind. Um, gets a magic sword that's going to try and teach him to be a hero because there's... No, the magic sword won't let him run away. Yeah. Magic sword is like, I belong to the barbarian. You're going to go rescue him and I'm going to show you how. And I work for heroes and I work for you now. Therefore, Therefore, you're a hero. you're a hero. Yep. And so it makes him fight and stuff. And that's actually pretty funny. Yeah, it is. Um... Uh, but we spent a lot of time with the Dragon Rider guys. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, apparently a parody of the Dragon Riders of Pern books. If anyone wants to talk to me at some length about the Dragon Riders of Pern, I'm at uh, Renish on Twitter. I have a lot of thoughts about Anne McCaffrey in that series. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we were talking about before, this doesn't seem to have anything to say about the Dragon Riders of Pern. Basically, no, he just pastiched it in with the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, he's just saying the Dragon Riders of Pern exist. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, okay. And c- then? Come on. Yeah, what's the joke? Yeah. And so we have these characters who are loosely based on characters from that series, but they don't do anything. Yeah. And they're not as well written as the ones from yeah, that series. Because it's only a section of a bigger story yeah. that doesn't really have this, hasn't really thought this world out. That said, there's some interesting stuff about the dragons themselves, which we'll come yes. back to in, in later books in more depth. And that's actually another thing that I really liked about this section that I know you mm-hmm. did as well, is that the dragons are created by the power of the imagination of the people. The- all all magic yeah. in the Discworld uh, and and religion as well works on belief. Yes. If you believe in something hard enough, if a lot of people believe in something, a god just comes into existence. That's a major uh, plot point for small gods, which uh-huh. is that it's it's still even though it's quite early on in the series, it's one of one my of your favorites. favorites. Yeah. Um, because I love the idea of that. Yeah. And here. It's everyone talks about, and again, this idea comes up. It's a major plot point in one of the first guards Mm -hmm. books, which is dragons as, as you think of them in fantasy, these great creatures. There's no such thing. Don't exist anymore. Maybe they used to, but they don't anymore. They've got garbage dragons. Yeah. They've been, they, they've de-evolved. It's kind of like birds to dinosaurs now. Like they're, they're, except that they suck more. Yeah. Like, but they, they they hop around and yeah, they have like like an inch of fire and they're kind of poisonous and shitty and mean and stupid. Yeah. And, but because two flower and this really crystallized mm-hmm. his character for me, like this whole section was kind of boring, but the end of it worked for me because his sense of wonder mm-hmm. and like in a good sense, not in a, Ugh, shut up, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, sense. Shut up. <laughs> but uh, in a real, like his dragon is the majestic, mm-hmm. like er dragon of fantasy because He's got, he really truly believes it and he just wants adventure so bad mm-hmm. and it's adorable. Yep. I like and it a he's, lot. He's, and this was actually nicely seated early on. Two Flower 
one of the things he really wanted to see that he always wanted to see was a dragon. Yeah. And so he we get to the situation where he finally can and he's so into it and it's great. Yeah. No, and and that part is good. I don't know that it's worth all the build up, but it's a nice, you know, if something. If it had been cut down maybe, like yeah. if this had been a smaller section or if there was more going on, but there's there's not. And I I'm I I looked around. I didn't mm-hmm. dig too deep. But I was wondering why this is in four sections. It feels like maybe he wrote these as short stories for magazines Some or magazine something. Or something, yeah. But I can't find anything to back that up. Maybe, maybe I just didn't dig hard enough. But it doesn't feel like a novel. No, it feels like four novellas. Yeah, and yeah, each one picks up where the last one left off. But it's still not, you know, not that interesting. Like, <laughs> not that there's no direction, there's no purpose, there's no shape. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of one damn thing after another, like I said. Uh, but the last section, I think, is probably my favorite one. Oh, it's okay. I like it all right. I, I like the the uh, the Lovecrafty section. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's your favorite one. Yeah. This is my favorite one. I don't understand. <laughs> well, see, you think some things, and I think different things. Yeah, she's she's giving me a look right now. You're gonna need to explain it to me well, in a different I, way. I, I'm gonna. He there's a lot of sort of larger like uh macro world building like you had the city but at this point we're talking now about the entire disc and we're talking about uh that there's a sea that flows over the edge and these very resourceful people who live out there in the islands have built what they call the circumfence Mm -hmm. which is a giant very good name yeah it is and it's a giant net that catches all the debris from around the entire disc Mm -hmm. that that would float off the edge otherwise. And so there's an entire civilization built out of the scraps, garbage, you know, ocean garbage of the rest of the world. But it's like an opulent society because... Oh, it's like ancient Greece. Yeah, because everything goes over the edge. Yes. So they get all of the things. No, and they're painted as like ancient Greece. Like they're very good at science and they're very like resourceful and they're very... Well, because they don't have to spend all of their time scrabbling to make a living, they can spend more time on arts and science and magic right. and they're also painted as being very good magicians and all of this right yeah i i read them as i mean and there's probably a little bit of egypt in there as yeah. well like not none of his things are perfect analogs mm-hmm. but they're usually based on one or two main things and i read a lot of ancient greece in them um and there's a great riff about a uh craftsman mm-hmm. at the beginning of this section yes i i really enjoyed that and that's based on real life and myths mm-hmm. um where he gets called in um to a king and the king says hey build me this great thing yeah and so he does and then the king puts out his eyes so that he can't build anything yeah else. look you, yeah this is my thing that i got from the great craftsman mm-hmm. and no one else can have one and so then he does it again uh-huh. and they cut off his hand mm-hmm. so that he can't build the great thing and so now we're at this in this civilization and they say okay no but if you build this I will not kill you. Yep. And then he builds the thing and then he gets, of course he gets, oh, so good. But when we meet up with him, he's got a glass eye and a silver hand. That's it. Yeah. Like all the stuff that they've cut out, he's been, he's replaced. And that feels like the sort of thing that I really enjoy in Pratchett later on. Like this is this, this one small section was sort of a, like a a really, um, it really stood out to me. Well, it felt like Douglas Adams and I've heard him compared to Douglas Adams. And honestly, Douglas Adams was like my favorite author for years and years. And yeah, he's all right. Yeah, okay. Let me talk about me for a second. <laughs> we'll talk about you, Dragon Riders. Mm-hmm. 
no, I was, I was huge into his stuff and I've kind of soured on him. Like he was a very good joke writer. He's yes. a very good comedy writer. His characters were not really anything and his plots were nothing. His plots relied entirely on random happenstance, but you know, very excellent, clever joke writer. He was funny. He was he very was really he was one funny. of the still I stand by one of the funniest writers. But but the when you have novels, a novel, yeah, no. Yeah. They, I think that's why they work better as radio plays. Yeah. But um I heard Terry Pratchett compare to him and I can see it in bits like this where you go off on kind of a tangent yeah. and here's a funny goofy thing that doesn't really have much to do with the story. But, you know, I don't know. I like that. Well, Terry Pratchett also gets compared to Neil Gaiman for his big sort of giant... Uh, well, stories about stories. Stories about stories and giant... Yeah. But again, I think he really shines in comparison because yeah. he does it with some levity and with cleverness and like it's... Yeah. It, no, and it's heart. Much more, it's much more natural. Well, he also... Like the, the heart is what I like yeah. about his stuff the most. And that's not here at all yet. But no, it'll, not at all. It'll show up. It'll show up pretty quickly. <laughs> but the whole thing about this is this: this civilization, Krull, is basically building a spaceship. Yes. To explore, there's a there's a bit at the very beginning, and it's very Hitchhiker's Guide in in the narration about the sky turtle and what sex it is, and that matters because maybe it's going to go lay eggs and mate, or maybe it's not. Knowing if it's male or female might help us figure that out. Like it's not actually arbitrary. It's there's and a reason. This this civilization is very curious about the world and how it works yeah. and sci and like sci magic science. Right. Um. So they care for that for for yeah scholarly. So reasons. they want to send yeah. two chelonauts, which mm -hmm. is very clever. Yes, I thought, it is. Uh, off the edge to to check basically. Um. And uh, they will not be brave members of their society. They will be sacrifices. And enter our two guys. Well, actually. The, as far as a plot point goes, our two guys are being sacrificed to fate so that the Chelonauts can succeed. Well, yeah, but they've, they've made a they've made uh, there's there's also a sort of um oh what the heck movie is it where the gods are uh, Clash of the Titans. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a whole Clash of the Titans thing where fate and luck are mm -hmm. fighting over. Um, right, Rinse Wind and Two Flower. Yeah, and um. Fate keeps getting uh, thwarted by luck, mm -hmm. uh, and this is fate makes a deal with the the people in Krull, saying, "Hey, listen, I'll make sure your spaceship thing works, but you got to kill these two guys." Yeah, I'm tired of them. these guys. Yep, yeah. that's true. But uh, and there actually is a fun riff yeah. about the gods playing games with people's fate, and and apparently I didn't catch this. This was a big thing in fantasy in like the late '70s, early '80s when D and D started becoming a big thing was people were immediately noticing fantasy stories being written as people's D&D campaigns. And one big criticism was you can practically hear the dice rolling <laughs> before every scene. And like that was an yeah. actual thing written by critics at the time. And in this story, you literally hear, like Two Flower can hear it briefly. Yep. Like, did you just hear dice rolling? And it's it's very funny because the gods are playing, playing games. playing literal dice. Yeah. yeah. Like it's like a D&D &D game to yep. them. And I'm pretty sure that's Terry Pratchett playing around with the idea that people were turning their D&D &D campaigns into fantasy stories, which is very funny. Um, but yeah, these two end up, uh, th that's where the book ends. Yeah. They sail off the edge of the world in a space capsule and to be continued. So I, uh, it's a weird place to end it. Like th I know the second book picks up where the first one left off, but... Uh, it's not really an ending. Yeah, it feels like if it's a 
collection of short stories, collect them all. Yeah. And um, it, I, I like that Two Flower was super excited. Yes. Because he was never scared. No, it feeds into all of his stuff. Like, well, I've seen most of the world now. Now I get to see other worlds. Mm-hmm. There's this great uh, side character who uh, rescues them yes. from uh, being shipwrecked, uh, who is like a water troll. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I remember thinking, well, we know trolls later in the yeah. books. There's no water trolls. What's he, a water troll? He's from another planet. Yes. And there's this whole great, I highlighted it, but it's like two pages and I'm not going to read it now. But the gist of it is, is he fell off his world, mm-hmm. drifted through space for hundreds of years because he's made of water. He froze and he nearly crashed into a different world and then crashed into this one. And now he lives here. And I love that. I love this pseudo sci-fi-ness of it. It's fun. And it's fun that these flat worlds mean people can fall off of yep. them sometimes. And I, I enjoyed that. And so we know there's other inhabited worlds. So I don't know. Maybe they're going to end up. Like, I seriously do not remember much about the second book. So. Me neither. I mean, they don't die. Clearly. Um, and I think the spell figures prominently into it. I but think beyond so that, I don't remember anything. Speaking about them dying, that's a, a, something we didn't really bring up. Oh, Death? Um, death is a character. And this is a character who exists throughout the series yeah he's the only character who appears in every discworld story and that's actually why we named our podcast what we named it is because he's the only character that's consistent through all of them he's the personification of death the the skeleton in a robe and he keeps believing that rincewind is going to die he keeps having appointments to meet rincewind and take him to the afterlife yep and unlikely things keep happening to stop that partially because luck's involved and partially because Rincewind's got that the spell and his survival instincts he's always looking for the angle that lets him get out alive right and so death keeps you know getting the robe on coming all the way down the driveway Well, and they make a big deal of saying and this changes in later books but right now they make a big deal of saying he's a wizard even a crappy wizard like Mm -hmm. him means death will come for him personally when he dies like that's he doesn't come for everyone, but he will come for him. And in later books, it's just he comes for everyone. But, but right now, that's how it works. And so he has to come all the way down there, yeah. and then Rincewind doesn't die. Yeah. And he just is getting more and more annoyed as the the series progresses. And then by the end, he comes to terms with it. He's like, ah, everybody's going to die eventually. I'll just wait him out. It doesn't matter that much. Well, no, at the end, he sends someone else. Yeah, like, whatever. Because this is not happening. he's got a plague to attend to. Yeah. And he's like, I got to deal with this plague, man. You you deal with, I don't remember who it was. Yeah, you but... deal with Rincewind, who's not going to die anyway. Yeah, exactly. Which which was pretty funny. But yeah. yeah, death, like I say, not the death that we will get to know and love in later stories, but still pretty funny. He uh, is a major character in one of the first really good books. Yeah, the fir- what I would say is the first good one is Mort, which is yeah. book four. Uh, it focuses primarily When's on When's Equal him. Rights? Is that? That's three. Yeah, I like Equal Rights. Yeah, it's pretty good. But I think but Mort- Mort's the first really Mort's the first one. one. The problem with Equal Rights is that it focuses on a main character who yep. will, much like Death, become very different in later books. And the patrician. Like, it's a and, character yeah. that we... Yeah. yeah. So there is that. Uh, but that pretty much covers the the plot. Is there mm-hmm. any other major points you wanted to bring up? Um. Yes. We talked about our good things. Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about let's our... Talk I mean, my bad... bad the thing... I mean, I just picked the dragon section, yeah. which I found very boring and tedious. But you Real have... Long. You have an issue to talk about. Oh, I always have an issue. Yeah, and it's usually this one. He- Hello, new viewers. <laughs> <laughs> I have an issue. Enjoy viewing our audio-only <laughs> <Yes>. show. <laughs> so... The issue sort of boils down to why come only one girl. Uh-huh. Um, there are... I'm, I was going through the, the book, and 
A speaking woman doesn't appear within the first 25% of the book. Come on, there was a whore pit. Uh, which we only know there yeah, were know. women there no, 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 I because know, I it know. was brought up later. Yeah, no. like it—it it was a. I'm being a, facetious. Yeah. I understand, but it was a world that seemed to have no women of any kind in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and we do get some like they—they they do show up later. Yeah. Uh, Luck is portrayed yeah. as as a no woman. they won't even say her name it's the lady yeah. it's always the lady you can't say her name well because the fear is if you bring up luck then she'll disappear yeah um because she only comes and that's a very yeah. desperate gambler thing yeah. to say it is it's i, I like that I yeah me it's too. very good yep um and sometimes you'll really want her to be there but she won't come anyway and sometimes she will and it's the greatest thing ever she i i, I enjoyed that yeah uh, so there's her and we have um the uh the dragon rider the woman. dragon rider woman um and then there's a, a a dryad who shows up for a little bit mm -hmm. and yeah as the book uh, progresses it feels like he realizes it's, yeah oh yeah women <laughs> Women are a thing. Now he's he's drawing on sources that are pretty thin on women. Uh, there's usually at least one, though. Well, okay. Uh, and like I read a lot of that old fantasy yeah. crap, and a lot of that old fantasy crap was written by chicks, and there's lots of yeah, chicks in it. So know. you know, broaden your perspective a little. Bit. He does. He, yeah, gets, he, do, he does. He gets better about that real quick. Honestly, he's better. Like it. I was starting to get annoyed, but before the end of the book, we started getting that. And he did a thing where like. There's characters that are all just dudes and there's no reason that one of them could not like and it felt like later in the series he realized that it's like oh well I've got this yeah. I've got this wizard there's no reason this wizard can't be a lady yeah like um well we'll we'll, yeah. we'll get there but it it improved toward the end of the book but it was like the the first sec the first section was like wow really yeah <laughs> not needing get one and I, I understand where yeah. you're coming from, and I and I agree with you, mm -hmm. but I don't know. It was 1983, and it's a fantasy book. I just kind of figure that's just how it is. Oh, it's not. Okay. It's not. All right. Um, but like I say, it's something he improves on, and yeah, almost yeah. immediately. Yeah, and so, you it, know, but it was it was a little it was a little rough getting through. Yeah. All right. Any any further plot business? In your own time, Mr. Potter. Oh, that means just take as much time as I want? Yes. Um, no, I think that's pretty much all the plot business. All right. Uh, so we've decided to choose uh, quotes that we liked, uh, mm -hmm. more more reading from us. Uh, and this, this is something that I actually think applies to Amanda, who is a photographer. I was going to highlight this one, and you got to it you first. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was at this point that Rinswin noticed something kind of strange. Possession of the box which is meaning the camera, uh, conferred a kind of power on the wielder, which was that anyone confronted with the hypnotic glass eye would submissively obey the most peremptory order about stance and expression. Accurate. Yes. Amanda is a photographer, and when she's holding the camera, everyone will do whatever she says, and I'm pretty sure that's why she became a photographer in the first place. You should see when I've got a light stand. I can go anywhere and do anything, and no one will stop me. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, and what is yours? Um, mine is uh, a quote uh, from Rincewind's perspective, nearly on near uh, early on in the book, that really gives you a good um, feeling for his character. I'm trying to find it for you. There you go. Gimme, gimme, gimme. But what would happen to Two Flower, all alone in a city where even the cockroaches had an unerring instinct for gold? A man would have to be a real heel to leave him, and then he leaves. <laughs> 
What I like about that is smash cut. We smash cut to the guards chasing him. Yep. It's a very good comedic shift of perspective because you're like, he didn't really run away, did he? Oh yeah, he did. That's yeah, who these guys did. are chasing now. It was very well put together, I thought. All right. Well, I think that's all for this time. I wanted to briefly talk about the spin-off media from mm-hmm. this. Uh there is the the movie we mm-hmm. talked about which uh, if you are an Amazon Prime member, it's actually there free streaming. You can get to it. We've seen it. It's fine. It's it's one of those things where it's not a bad bookend. Like, it's kind of neat to see your friends, like, up and moving around. Yeah, but I suppose it's, so. Yeah, it's not, it, it's not very funny. I've never seen any Terry Pratchett adaptation that I was particularly pleased with. Hogfather was awesome all right of all of them it was probably the best one but but the funniest stuff in his books is the narration yeah and you lose that there's no voiceover so you lose half of what's funny and loses a lot of the depth too Mm -hmm. where you're talking about the ideas about myth and 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 all of that is just sort of out the window yeah and a lot of it's also about the character's inner life and you lose a lot of that too yeah he's a very narration heavy author in a good way yeah but you lose that when you adapt just the straight dialogue and action there are some things that are very much the medium they are written in yeah um and this feels like it's hard to translate yeah, and they've done, they did the first two books, yep. and then they did Hogfather, and then they did uh, Going Postal, mm-hmm. and I didn't particularly care for any of them. No, me neither. Like I said, I thought Hogfather was the, be- it was the best one. It it missed my favorite thing about the book, it, but... Uh, it had non-stop, whimsical, tinkly music yes, that did. drove me mad. Yep. That's a real easy way to lose me. Um, and a lot of the cast in these are very good. Oh, very good. Uh, um, Lady Mary from Downton Abbey mm-hmm. played Susan's uh, uh, death's daughter, Susan. And she's great. She's fantastic. Uh, David Jason was not the best choice nope. for Rincewind, but uh, Sean Astin played Two Flower and he was actually quite good. Yeah, he was very good. good, yeah. Yeah, there's, there, I mean, there's a lot to like. And like I say, they're, they're on Amazon. They're probably available elsewhere. Uh, it's not just one of those things where they made it in the UK and you can only get it in the UK. Yep. You can get it elsewhere. But it's, yeah. Again, it's something that's sort of, it's kind of neat to see it if you're a fan, but it's, yeah. It's, don't do that instead of reading the book. No, absolutely not. Um, and there's a comic book adaptation, which mm-hmm. I actually wanted to have a look at. Like, I want to try to, rather than doing the books and then going back and doing the supplemental yeah. material, what we decided was we'll discuss anything like that's adapted from the story as we talk about it. And I was going to look at the comic and it is very hard to get. I guess it's out of print. So sorry. Can't talk about that. Unless you guys want to give us a bunch of money, then we'll, uh, yes, yeah. that's not going to happen. <laughs> Just give us a bunch of money and then we'll, sure. we'll talk about whatever. Honestly. Yeah. Um, is that it? Uh, you were, I think we were going to talk about the cliche count. Oh yes. So this is something I noticed. And especially since I do the audio books, yeah. um, he likes to repeat certain words and phrases. Uh, and I thought it would be fun to start from the beginning counting how many times he uses his go-to phrases and words. Also, once you hear this, you can't unhear it. So yeah. if you guys want to turn it off now. Yeah, you're welcome. Now's the time. We're going to ruin the books for yeah. you. So uh, I'm going to start sort of uh, at the bottom. Um, there's a phrase he loves, which is uh, X concept is something that happened to other people. Yes. Uh, zero. Zero in this book hasn't happened. Yet. It was weird. That it, it will happen in every single because book. it's almost in every book. Yeah. I was I was waiting for it. Yeah, as far as he yeah. was concerned, a forty-hour work week was something that happened to other people. Yeah, like that's the kind of you know. But it, it's in most of his books, and I kept waiting for it to come yeah. up, and it didn't. And he it was just like, hadn't ah. he hadn't developed it. Yeah. Yet. Also, 
he loves uh, the word surreptitious, mm-hmm. surreptitious, surreptition, anything like that, mm-hmm. surreptitiously. Uh, zero in this one. Trust me, there will, it will come up a lot. Yep. Uh, susuration, susurus, any any variation on that? That comes up, like, given that it's kind of a an, um, an unusual experience, that sort of... Well, the reason I noticed this is because he has a whole passage yeah. in one of the Tiffany Aching books where he talks about a susurus because she, as a young yep. person, learns the word and it's unusual to her. Uh, but it only comes up once. But it comes up a lot in the series. It, it absolutely yeah. does. Uh, and believe me, I'm going somewhere mm-hmm. with this. I'm building because the word gingerly, mm-hmm. eight times. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely something like that I know I noticed all of these and I know I'm not crazy with any of these and I will be vindicated in later books but I'm already right about gingerly eight times That's so many times in a 200 page book is a lot of times so this this might only be amusing to us but every time these words and phrases come up it makes me giggle like once when I heard um Susurus in mm-hmm. this book is like oh he 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 well, oh he's Terry so, he's so inventive yep. and so good with language and mm-hmm. so he's got a great way of making things sound conversational but also sort of authoritative at the same time mm-hmm. it's a hard line to walk he's very good at it so it really jumps out at me even more that he's got some crutches mm-hmm. I mean all writers do but I guess I'm also happy with myself that I'm familiar enough with him that I saw them because I usually you know lose interest before I start noticing the, you know <gasps> So there's that. Uh, anyway, so that'll be an ongoing thing. Uh, and I think that's it for this time. I think that's all the things. Yeah. Uh, so as I said, this will be a monthly show, mm-hmm. uh, the 15th of every month. So if you are reading along with us, the next book is book two. Notice the pattern. We read book one. Now we're reading book two. Uh, the Light Fantastic. <sighs> it's just going to be more of this. I think it's a little better in terms of plotting. Uh, I we'll think see. I, I I haven't read it in a million years because I remember not mm. liking it that much. And so, I think it's a little better than this yeah. one. And this one was fine. Yeah, it was all right. Um, do you want to do you want to give this one a grade? We were talking about rating these. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd say it was a C. Like, I didn't want to throw it into the ocean. It didn't make I wasn't like enraged by anything. Mm-hmm. It was all right. I will probably never read it again. I'd even say a B minus for yeah. me. Because there were some things, like all the world building is pretty solid. There's some genuinely funny passages. The characters are better than I remember. Mm-hmm. So I'd say B minus. That's all right. Like I say, uh, I, when I say I'm never going to read this again, I've some of his books I've probably read 10 or 12 times. Like I've, I've read Thud probably 10 times. Like yeah. these are those books that I've read so many times I've had to replace them because the spines are broken and their pages are falling out. And this, I've, I think this is only the second time I've read this. Maybe this is the third time for me probably two yeah i probably unless we do another podcast about it i probably won't read it (laughs) no there's no reason to um and if i if i forget what i thought yes i have detailed notes that i can go back to and so i don't have to read the book i just look at my notes uh anyway so yeah december 15th uh the light fantastic book two Mm -hmm. um we will be here um and that's it. So this has been a co-production of Ron Algarwad and Amanda Smith for Algar Productions and Giant Black Albatross, copyright 2018. For full archives, RSS feed, and more details about us, visit thedeathofpodcasts.com. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, leave us a review, because apparently that's a thing that, that helps people get popular. So uh, do that. And we'll be back in a month. <laughs>